Now I know why Pastor Rick was so quick to pass this sermon off to me today, man. You know, the, the, the cardinal rule of preaching is you never want to follow children or animals, <laughs> all right? And then, uh, and then to top it all off, we got the farewell of one of our uh, beloved friends, Lauren, uh, Lauren Miller, leaving us today. And then, uh, and then after that offering song, man, we might as well just pack it up and go home. I'm, I'm feeling pretty blessed today. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some, some words from Scripture with us today, and hopefully they'll also be an encouragement to us. But would you uh, join me in just opening our time with a word of prayer before we go to the Word? Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would help us today as we look into the Scriptures. Uh, help me as I communicate your truth to my friends here today. Give us wisdom, Lord, as we look at uh, some very fascinating uh, issues related to the Christmas story and how they, uh, they really can have a transformative impact on our lives when we understand how you were working and orchestrating events throughout history, uh, pointing people to the coming of the Messiah, the King of Kings, our Lord and Savior. Give us, uh, give us wisdom and discernment now as we open your word, and we pray this in your name, Jesus' name, amen. All right. I don't know about you, but I've always been fascinated with history. Ever since I was a little boy, I, I loved reading uh, accounts of uh, famous historical adventures and famous figures throughout history. And, and even today as an adult, uh, some of my favorite books to read are, are uh, historical accounts of great events. And if you, if you catch me watching TV ever, chances are we're going to be watching uh, the History Channel, the Discovery Channel, you know, all the, those, great, uh, those great shows that... Uh, uh, History's Mysteries, History Decoded. Caleb and I, we've been watching The Curse of Oak Island, these guys looking for these ancient treasures. And uh, I love all things having to do with these great historical mysteries. And uh, one of the great mysteries of history is actually related to the Christmas story. And it's a, it's a mystery of history that we often just take for granted because we read through the nativity story in the Gospels and we kind of just go right over this very significant portion of the story that really uh, has puzzled people uh, for many years. And today I want to talk about this particular mystery and, and hopefully shed some light on it on us for us, on this mystery for us, based on what God has told us in the scriptures. And I think you'll find this really interesting this morning. The mystery I am referring to is the question, who were the Magi? Who were these wise men that the Gospels tell us came to visit the Christ child when the Messiah was born. You know, the Gospels tell us that they came from the east. They came following this star, looking for the Messiah, the Christ child, so that they could worship him and offer him gifts. But, you know, we don't know a lot about who these magi were. The Gospels don't really explain much more to us than these magi, these wise men from the east, came to visit the Christ child. Now, I think the Bible illuminates some very interesting uh, inferences to us that we can uh, deduce from some clues in Scripture, and I'm going to share those clues with you here this morning. But before we get to that, let's just read this section of the Nativity story related to the visit of the Magi, these wise men. It's found in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi or wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, 
and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route." Very interesting story, the account of these wise men, these magi from the east who came looking for this Christ child, following this star. And it leads us to ask a number of questions. You know, who were these guys? Where did they come from? Why were they looking for the Messiah? Why were they looking to the heavens for a sign, a star to guide them? You know, where did all this come from? What was the background of this story? Now, we don't know a lot about these particular magi or these wise men. But as I mentioned a minute ago, I think we can deduce a number of things about them from what God's word has revealed to us about them. Now, some quick history on the magi. The magi are an interesting group of people. Various historical accounts of the magi go back over a thousand years before the birth of Christ. And the Magi were found in empires all over the ancient world, especially in the Middle East and the Far East. There are historical accounts of these Magi, not only in countries in the Middle East, but in the empires of Babylon, the empires of Persia. Even as far as India, we have accounts of these Magi, these wise men. Now, who were they? They were a priestly caste. They were a group of people, a priestly caste, who often served in the political courts of the empires of the ancient world. They would serve kings, they would serve emperors, and they were renowned for their wisdom. They had great wisdom, great learning in areas like math and science and astronomy, traditional scientific disciplines that they would come and provide their expertise to the kings, to the emperors, giving them counsel, giving them guidance on a whole variety of issues. Now, history also tells us that some of these magi not only uh, limited their, their, their studies to these scientific disciplines, but a number of the magi that we know from history also had great interest in the whole realm of the occult. And so some of these magi became well-known amongst their emperors and their kings for being able to look to the stars, the occultic practice of astrology, and supposedly foretell the future based on the alignment of the sun, the moon, and the stars, following the symbols of the zodiac. And they would use that supposed ability to help give counsel to the kings and the emperors in the ancient world. Some of these magi were known for being able to call up spirits, the, the occultic practice of spiritism, and, or, or uh, performing medium, acting as a medium, or, or uh, doing seances, calling up, calling up these spirits to give counsel and guidance to their kings, their emperors. Now, this magi, this 
priestly caste system was, was widely known throughout the ancient world. The question is, what are they doing in the Christmas story coming from the east, likely Babylon, looking for the Christ child, this one who was to become the king of the Jews, the savior of the world? You know, what were these magi doing? Why were they looking for the Christ child? Why were they looking to the heavens following a star that supposedly was going to guide them and point them to Jesus? Now, friends, interestingly, I believe the Bible gives us some really fascinating clues as to the background of these particular magi that we read about in the Gospels. And to understand the historical background of the magi found in the Gospels, these wise men, you really need to understand what was going on in biblical history nearly 600 years before the time of Jesus Christ. In the year 586 B.C., the Babylonian Empire came marching through the Middle East and conquered the nation of Israel. This was known as the second exile where the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, their homeland was completely destroyed by the Babylonian Empire and King Nebuchadnezzar. And they were taken, the whole people of the nation of Israel were taken back to Babylon to live in captivity under Babylonian rule. This took place in 586 B.C., before Christ. Now, one of the things that we know, one of the fascinating accounts in the Bible is the story of what took place during this period of captivity while the Israelites were in the nation of Babylon, in the empire of Babylon. And there are famous stories in the Old Testament, stories about a number of figures that God used during the Babylonian captivity. Names you're probably going to recognize. Famous figures like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were men of Israel, young men from Israel that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had specifically chosen. If you read the book of Daniel, he had chosen a group of young Israelite men to come out of the people of captivity to be trained up in the ways of the Babylonian sciences and astronomers and, and mathematicians. And they were going to be trained up to be part of the wise men, the magi cast of the Babylonian empire. Now, fascinating, if you read the book of Daniel, chapters 1 and 2, there's a story where King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And this dream troubled him because he didn't know what the meaning of the dream was. And so if you read the chapters 1 and 2 of Daniel, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he gathered together all of the wise men of the Babylonian Empire, all of the magi. And he brought them together looking for an interpretation of this dream. And the book of Daniel tells us that all of the magi of the Babylonian Empire were stumped. They were puzzled. They couldn't interpret the king's dream. But there was one, one amongst the wise men, an Israelite named Daniel, who God had given a special prophetic gift to interpret dreams. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, finds out that Daniel has the key to unlocking the meaning of his dream. And so Daniel comes before the king. He explains the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar is so overjoyed because this Israelite, Daniel, has explained to him the meaning of his dream. Listen to what the king does for Daniel as a result of Daniel's ability to explain the dream. It's found in Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 47. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery to me. 
Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon, and here's the key, and placed him in charge of all of its wise men, in charge of all the magi. Daniel, this Israelite who believed in the one true God of the Bible, was given the title of chief of the Magi. He became the chief of all of the Magi in the Babylonian Empire. Friends, he was in one of the most prominent positions to influence the nation of Babylon that he could be. He was the chief of all of the most learned men in the empire. And friends, I believe that these magi who came to Jerusalem nearly 600 years later looking for the Christ child, the reason that they came looking for the Christ child, I believe, is because they were following the teachings of their former chief magi, the prophet Daniel. And I believe that in his position of authority over the wise men of Babylon, Daniel had explained to all the magi in Babylon the Old Testament and the meaning of the prophecies, over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that God had given his people, all dating at least 700 years before the coming of Jesus Christ. And Daniel had explained and unfolded these prophecies to the Magi, telling them that there was coming this King of Kings, this Messiah who would be born in Israel, the Savior of the world. And so these magi that we read about in the Gospels, they were likely God-fearing, possibly converts to Judaism, but they were men who had a deep respect and appreciation for the word of God and the prophecies that God had given us as they had been taught them by their chief magi, Daniel, over 500 years earlier. Isn't that incredible? Now, this is very fascinating. Not only did Daniel teach these prophecies to these wise men? But history, secular history during the, birth, during the time of the birth of Christ around the first century AD, secular Roman historians, the Roman historians Suetonius and Tacitus, they both have independent accounts in their historical writings. Now these are secular guys, non-Christians. They both record in their writings, Tacitus and Suetonius, that during this era of the first century, there was this general belief amongst the people of the Middle East. Throughout the Middle East, there was a belief amongst the people that there was coming a king from the nation of Israel who would become the ruler of the whole world. These are two secular Roman historians who report this, that there was this widespread belief in the ancient world that a king was coming from Israel who would become the ruler of the whole world. Friends, where did that belief come from? Again, I believe it was a teaching that had first been passed on by Daniel as he shared the Bible, the Old Testament, with his wise men colleagues, the Magi, who they then passed on. Remember, they were the gatekeepers of all wisdom, of all knowledge in the ancient world. And so they then passed it on. And it became this widespread belief that the king of kings, a ruler from Israel, was coming. This is why I believe these magi came. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. Incredible. And all of them date to at least 700 years before Jesus. 
We got prophecies in the Old Testament that Daniel would have taught the Magi. Prophecies like Genesis 12.1, that the Messiah was going to come from the nation of Israel. Genesis 49.10, that he would be born of the tribe of Judah. That Isaiah 7.14, that he would be born of a virgin. Micah 5.2, incredibly, that he would be born in the town of Bethlehem. And again, friends, all of these prophecies were given to us in Scripture 700 years before the coming of Christ. Daniel knew them. He was familiar with them, and he would have taught them as the chief magi over all of Babylon. So I believe, number one, what does God's word reveal to us about the magi? I believe, number one, that these magi who visited Jesus Christ, number one, these were men who believed God's promises about the Messiah. Friends, there's no other way to explain why they're in the story, why they're there. Why else would these guys from the east be following some kind of astronomical sign looking for the king of the Jews? The only way that makes sense is if they had a knowledge of the Bible's prophecies telling of the coming of the Messiah. The second thing that we can learn about the Magi from the Bible, number two, these guys watched and prepared for the Messiah's arrival. They didn't just believe God's word that the Messiah was coming, but they had actively planned and prepared to go and visit the Messiah. They were watching, looking for him. What were they watching for? Well, they were watching for a sign in the heavens. They were watching for a star. And why were they watching for a star? This is fascinating. It's again, friends, because they knew God's word. They had been taught God's word by the prophet Daniel, and Daniel surely would have taught them the prophecy found in Numbers chapter 24 in verse 17. A prophet, an ancient prophet by the name of Balaam, had prophesied this over a thousand years before the coming of Jesus Christ. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise. A king will rise out of Israel. Over a thousand years before the birth of Christ, God's word prophesied that a star would point to the coming king of Israel. Friends, why were the Magi looking to the heavens for a sign? It's because they believed the prophecies of God's word, that a star would signify the arrival of the Messiah, the King of Kings. Now the question is, is how did they know when they should be looking for this sign? Right? Remember, we're talking, these guys are, Daniel was giving these prophecies to the Babylonians over 500 years before Jesus arrived. So how did they know within that period of history when to be looking for this star? Were they just passing it down from generation to generation, twiddling their thumbs, you know, maybe something's going to appear in the sky? No, I think they knew very clearly the exact time to be looking for that star. How did they know when the star was going to appear? Again, they turned to the chief magi, the prophet Daniel. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 through 27, gives us an incredible prophecy. Daniel tells us exactly when the Messiah would arrive. So the Bible tells us not only is he going to come from Israel, not only is he going to come from the tribe of Judah, not only is he going to be born of a virgin, not only is he going to be born in the town of Bethlehem, the Bible prophesied for us exactly when the Messiah would appear. And these magi knew that because they believed God's word and they had studied these things. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, Daniel says this, Know and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes... 
there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. What's Daniel saying? Daniel in this prophecy is saying when the decree is issued to allow the Jews to return to their homeland, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Remember, they're in captivity. Jerusalem's been destroyed. They're living in Babylon. Daniel gets this prophecy when the decree is issued to allow us to go home. From that decree, Daniel says there will be 62 sevens and seven sevens until the anointed one, the Messiah, comes. Well, what does that mean? When Daniel uses the term seven, he's talking about a seven-year period of history. We talk about a week of seven days. Daniel was referring in prophetic language to a week of seven years. So when Daniel says there will be 62 sevens and seven sevens, what he's saying is there will be 69 periods of seven years before the Messiah arrives after this decree is issued. 69 times seven, if you do the math, turns out to be 483 years. That's how specific God's word got when it came to telling when we could look for the Messiah. He would come 483 years after the decree is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So the question becomes, well, when was the decree given, right? Friends, in 538 BC, Cyrus the Great, the king of the Persian Empire, came in and wiped out the Babylonians. And the Persians became the dominant empire in the world. There was a 40-year period from 538 till 457 BC, where Cyrus gave a number of decrees allowing the Jews to return home. It wasn't just a one-time thing. He gave a number of decrees. We don't know for a fact which of the decrees was the marking point for counting down this 483 years. But what we do know is depending on which decree you look at, when you count down 483 years, remarkably it brings us right to the exact time frame that Jesus Christ was born, between 6 and 4 BC. 483 years from the issuing of the decree till Messiah the Prince. Friends, why were the Magi looking for a star? Why at that particular time? It's because they knew God's word. They knew the prophets. They knew that God had told them in 483 years the Messiah would come, and so they were looking for the sign that would point them to the King of the Jews the savior of the world. This was no coincidence, friends. These were guys who trusted and believed God's word and it pointed them to the coming of the Messiah. Not only were they watching for the Messiah, but they had prepared for the Messiah. How do we know that they had prepared? Well, number one, friends, these guys had a huge journey ahead of them to get to Jerusalem. Historians tell us from Babylon to Jerusalem, it was a four to nine month journey. This was no easy road trip to get to Jerusalem from Babylon. It was a four to nine month journey, a caravan journey following the waterways around the deserts, going north up the Tigris and Euphrates, up to the mountains of northern Iraq, down to the Sea of Galilee, down the Jordan River, ultimately down into Jerusalem. It would take four to nine months to do this by caravan. Now keep in mind, these guys were not traveling three kings on camels like we sing about in the songs, okay? These guys were royal priests of the Babylonian Empire. They would have had a whole entourage with them, maybe upwards of a hundred people, servants, people to set up their tents at night, people to carry their luggage, a whole armed guard of soldiers from the Babylonian, of the Persian Empire traveling with them, okay? These guys, this was not a light road trip they were on. They would have had to prepare for this, to go to see the Christ child. Not only had they had to prepare for the journey, but the Gospels tell us that they brought gifts. 
Now, these guys weren't bringing white elephant gifts. They had put some thought into this, all right? They brought gold. Why gold? Gold is what you offer a king. They brought incense. Why incense? Incense is what a priest uses to lift the prayers of the people up to heaven. And Jesus would become the one who would fulfill the priestly roles of Israel. They brought myrrh. What is myrrh? It's an it's a expensive embalming element for embalming the dead. Why would you give myrrh to an infant baby? Again, it's because they knew that he was going to come and give his life because they believed the prophecies that this Messiah would come and give his life to be the Savior of the world. Friends, these guys had put thought and time and preparation into their journey. And why? Number three, because they were committed to worshiping the Messiah. They were committed to worshiping the Messiah. How do we know this? We know this, number one, because the very first thing they do when they arrive in Jerusalem is they ask Herod, where has the king of the Jews been born? We want to worship him. And then when they find out he's been born in Bethlehem, they go to Bethlehem, they walk into the house, they see Mary and the baby Jesus. The very first thing they do, Matthew says, is they get on their knees and they bow down and they worship him. Friends, this was not any normal political delegation. These guys were not ambassadors coming to make an appeal to King Herod. These guys were looking very clearly for the one who they believed was the Christ child, the Messiah, God in human flesh, and we know that because their intentions show it. They came specifically to worship him. You know, it's really interesting to note the difference between the Magi's response to the Christ child from Herod's, from the Jews of Jerusalem. You know, Herod hears the news of the Christ child. First of all, he's surprised. He clearly doesn't know the prophecies, clearly doesn't know God's word. He's surprised that these magi are there showing up looking for the king of the Jews. And how does he respond? He responds with hostility. He sets up a plan to kill Jesus. The Jews of Jerusalem, they don't join the magi on their caravan to Bethlehem looking for this king of the, king of the Jews, the Messiah. The Jews of Jerusalem, they respond just with indifference. All right, there's some magi coming from the east. Only the magi go and seek out Jesus, the Christ child. Very interesting how similar that is to many people in our world today who we respond to Jesus Christ, some with hostility, some with indifference, and others go and bow before him. What's the difference? It all boils down to trusting and submitting to the word of God. These magi clearly trusted and believed God's word. And they sought out the Christ child because they wanted to worship him. Friends, what, do, what can we say about the magi's example for our lives today? You know, how can we apply this story of the magi to our lives today? Let me, let me suggest three questions this morning for each of us to consider. Number one, do you believe God's promises about the Messiah? You know, the 300 Old Testament prophecies, 700 years before the coming of Christ, all pointing to the arrival of Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Friends, how do you explain that? You know, skeptics used to say, well, those were obviously inserted into the Bible years later after the time of Jesus, because how could anybody prophesy that many prophecies supposedly 700 years before the coming of Jesus? That was a great claim of the skeptics for many years until back in the 1940s, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, 
the Dead Sea Scrolls in ancient Israel dating to 200 BC, copies of every book of the Bible except the book of Esther, partial or complete manuscripts, and guess what? Every single one of these 300 prophecies pointing to Jesus Christ as the coming Messiah, they're found in those Dead Sea Scrolls from 200 BC. So you might claim those prophecies aren't 700 years before Christ, but we're confident they were there at least 200 years before Christ. So how do you explain that one? Friends, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And he asked all of us that same question today. Who do you say he is? Was he just a good teacher of morality? Or was he who the Bible claimed he was and prophesied that he would be? The Savior of the world, the Messiah, the King of Kings. You know, friends, Jesus has made us another promise. Jesus has promised that he's coming again. In John 14, Verses one through three, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus says, I'm going to my father's house and in my father's house there are many rooms and I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, you can know that I will come again and take you with me so that you can be where I am. Friends, Jesus promised that he's coming again. And I promise you, friends, I, I can tell you this with confidence. If God was faithful in keeping those 300-plus promises in the Old Testament, pointing to the first coming of Jesus Christ, you can be sure that he's going to keep his promise to come again. Jesus is coming again one day. And just like the Magi had been given a sign to look for, the star, Jesus gave us signs to look for, too. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus' disciples came to them and said, Lord, how are we going to know when your second coming is soon upon us? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, he says, you will hear of wars and rumors of war. You will see wars, famines, natural disasters of various kinds throughout the world. He says, nation will rise against nation. The love of man will grow cold for one another. Jesus gives us all these warning signs. It's like reading the front page of today's newspaper. And Jesus says, when you see these signs, these are the beginning of birth pains pointing to my coming. You know, friends, when a woman goes into labor and starts experiencing the birth pains, you never know when that baby's going to arrive. It could be hours, it could be minutes. And Jesus says, when you see these signs, you can know that my arrival is soon to come. Jesus promised he's coming again. He's going to keep that promise. And this leads me to question number two. Are you living in preparation for Jesus' arrival? You know, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, he tells us that all of us are going to give an account of our lives one day. He says, before Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord, and we will all give an account of our lives to Jesus Christ. Friends, are you living your life in anticipation and preparation for the coming of the king, because he's coming again. Famous missionary C.T. Studd, in one of my favorite quotes, he says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Friends, what are you living for? Are you living for your own selfish pursuits, the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of happiness? Or are you living in light of eternity, living for the king? You know, my dad, he used to always say, Jason, live with eternity's values in view. Live in light of eternity. Are you living in light of eternity? 
because the king is coming and we're all gonna give an account of our lives. Question number three, have you committed your life to worshiping him? Like the magi who had committed, even before they met Jesus, to worshiping him. Have you committed your life? You know, the amazing message of Christmas is that God has given us an incredible gift. In 1 John 4, verses 9 through 10, John explains this gift. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, friends, 2,000 years ago, God looked down upon a world that he made, a world that he loved, a world that was lost in sin and darkness and despair and hopelessness. And God said, I want you to know how much I love you. And so God took on human flesh and he became a man so that we could know who God is, so that we could know how to have a relationship with him. And in the most incredible act of sacrifice, Jesus went to a cross and he gave his life and he shed his blood for our sins, paying the penalty that we all deserve to pay. He shed his blood for our sins so that we might be forgiven and redeemed and restored into a relationship with our Heavenly Father, our Creator God. You know, when you think about the story of the Magi, the Magi brought gifts to the Christ child. And it was right that they brought gifts to the Christ child. You know, based on their limited understanding of who Jesus was, it was right for them to bring gifts. But you know something? Jesus didn't want their gifts. And you know what? Jesus doesn't want anything from you either in terms of gifts. What Jesus wants from the Magi, what he wants from you, what he wants from me, the only thing Jesus wants is he wants you. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He came into this world to have a relationship with you because he loves you. That's why he became a child. That's why he grew up to die on a cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled into a relationship with him. It's because he wants you. And that's the greatest gift you could give him this year. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 goes on to say, and God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent him to save the world through him because he loves you. That's what he wants. He wants you. A couple years ago, I got an email from a friend uh, who's a missionary in Russia. I'll close with this story. He sent out a Christmas newsletter and he shared about a Christmas program that they had had in the orphanage where he works. And they had told these kids, many of them, uh, for the very first time, they had told them the Christmas story, these Russian orphans. And after they had shared the Christmas story, they played some games and they gave the kids some Play-Doh and they asked the kids to make their own little nativity sets with the Play-Doh. My friend said he went to one little boy after they had been working for a while, and this one little boy, six-year-old boy named Misha. Misha had fashioned a little manger, but there were two babies in the manger. And my friend said to Misha, Misha, why are there two babies in the manger? And Misha went on and he shared the whole Christmas story, and he said, but you know, when I, when I went to see baby Jesus, baby Jesus looked at me and he asked me if I had a place to stay. And Misha said, I don't have a papa or a mama. I have nowhere to stay. And baby Jesus said, well, you can stay with me. 
And Misha looked at the manger and he said, but Jesus, everybody else has gifts and I don't have anything to give you. And Misha thought, you know, maybe baby Jesus is cold there all by himself. Maybe if I offer to lay with baby Jesus, maybe that would be a good gift. And so Misha said, so I asked Jesus, I said, Jesus, if I came and laid with you, would that be a good gift? And Jesus said, Misha, that would be the greatest gift you could ever give me. And you can stay with me forever. And my friend said that Misha just sobbed and sobbed as he shared this story because he had found somebody who would never abandon him, never abuse him, never leave him or forsake him. See, friends, that's what God wants from us this Christmas. The greatest gift that you could give to Jesus this Christmas would be to commit your life to him to commit to following him, to commit to worshiping him. Nothing would bring more joy to the Lord than for you to entrust your life to him in a relationship with him for all of eternity. It's just incredible. John 1 verse 12 says that to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to be called children of God. What an incredible promise that we can be called children of God. I hope you know that incredible blessing this Christmas. I hope you've put your trust in Jesus Christ. I hope you know the freedom, the joy, the love that's found in a relationship with him. And if you don't, let me encourage you to put your trust in him. Maybe even right here today. No greater Christmas present you could ever experience than to know the love of God. Let me close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just the incredible truths that we have in your word, the promises that we have in the scriptures, Lord. The example that we have in the, the faith of the Magi coming to seek out the Christ child. Lord, I just pray that each and every one of us here would model that same faith in our own lives. That we would live in light of eternity. That we would live in anticipation and preparation for your coming. And Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who does not know the great hope and joy of Christmas that you came to give us this incredible gift of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, life and life to the full. I pray, Jesus, that they, even right here, right now, in the quiet of their own hearts, might call out to you and say, Jesus, I want to come and give my life to you. I commit my life to worshiping you. I want to receive that greatest gift of Christmas and know the new life that is found in you. Jesus, you promise us when we commit to you to wash away our sins, to make us a new creation, and you promise us eternal life in your presence. I pray that each and every one of us would know the hope of Christmas this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me leave you with this benediction from Romans chapter 15. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him this Christmas so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you, friends. Have a great day. We cannot contain Your love will 